Spare a thought, ladies and gentlemen, for the bullied billionaires of the world. Of course, I have in mind the oligarch Mikhail Friedman, who has had to endure what must feel like an eternity of economic sanctions imposed by the U.S., the U.K., and the E.U. In March 2022, as the horror of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine unfolded, Friedman complained in an interview to Bloomberg that his frozen bank accounts make it impossible to pay his house cleaners. Maybe I should clean the house myself, he joked to the reporter. But it turns out that those cleaning costs are no joke in at least one sense. Friedman later sued Britain's sanctions office in London's high court after officials refused to allow him to hire cleaners for the upkeep of his $78.8 million mansion, which contains a $53.2 million art collection. Friedman demanded the right to spend roughly $36,400,000 per month on cleaning services. On Thursday, October 26th, the court said no. But Friedman was long gone by then. In September, he moved to Israel, having had enough of the British sanctions regime. As of this moment, however, he's back in Moscow for the first time since the February 2022 invasion of Ukraine. And I'm sure you can guess why he left Israel in early October. Welcome to The Naked Pravda. Good morning, good evening, whatever time it is for you. Ladies and gentlemen, howdy, I'm Kevin Rothrock, your host. And this week's show will be one of my news in review episodes where I run through some recent news stories of interest. I hesitate to say these are the most important events of the week. They're not totally random, at least. But let's start off with something that isn't news at all. I recently learned that three professional basketball teams competed in something called the McDonald's Open exactly 36 years ago this week. And the deciding game was between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Soviet Union. The Bucks won. 127 to 100, claiming a $50,000 prize and a trophy. There would be another eight McDonald's championships before the tournament folded in 1999. They were all won by NBA teams, but the USSR never joined again. This week on Thursday, October 26th, Russia's foreign ministry hosted some foreign visitors, a certain Islamic resistance movement, more commonly known as Hamas. Moscow officials said their meeting with Abu Marzouk, one of the leaders of Hamas, focused on the release of foreign hostages located in the Gaza Strip. I wonder how they got there. The statement from Russian diplomats didn't specify that it was Hamas that took those hostages, and it didn't note that at least three of them have Russian dual citizenship. Russia's ambassador to Israel, Anatoly Viktorov, said a week ago that at least 20 Russian citizens were killed and seven went missing in the October 7th Hamas terrorist attacks. This week, Russia's foreign ministry didn't even reveal who sat down with Marzouk, but we know it wasn't the president. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov told reporters that Putin has no plans, had no plans, to meet with the Hamas delegation. We at least know that Putin spent part of the day at an exhibition of prospective space industry projects. And he also reportedly met with Grigory Yavlinsky, the head of the castrated political opposition party Yablika. The party's press secretary says the two men discussed the need for a ceasefire in the special military operation. They don't call it a war. And they talked about the economic challenges Russia faces in a fragmented global economy. Yablika claims that they didn't discuss next year's presidential election, though Yavlinsky has said, or threatened, that he might run again if his supporters collect 10 million signatures endorsing his candidacy. That's very, very generous of him. Anyway, also on Thursday, with a bit more transparency, 
Iran's deputy foreign minister flew to Russia and sat down with deputy foreign minister Sergei Rybakov and also Russia's special representative for the Middle East, Mikhail Bogdanov. Moscow's statement on these talks was more boilerplate, however, just reaffirming the need for humanitarian assistance to the Palestinians. There was no mention of the Russian citizens killed or taken hostage by Hamas. Maybe they lobbied hard for them behind closed doors. Maybe they're on their own. The Hamas kidnappings aren't the only crime the Russian authorities seem eager to downplay. Earlier this week, two sources close to the federal government told Medusa that the Putin administration has instructed the country's state-controlled and pro-Kremlin media not to report on offenses by men who have returned from the front lines in Ukraine, and that includes the mercenaries and former convicts who won amnesty in exchange for going to the war in the first place. One of Medusa's sources explained that truly patriotic journalists understood even before the Kremlin intervened, that covering crimes committed by veterans is simply inappropriate. And he's on to something here too, it seems, because not even tabloids like Komsomolska Pravda and Moskovsky Komsomolets have been publishing stories about veterans returning to Russia and doing crimes, even though they obsess over heartwarming tales about soldiers coming home to their families, bringing flowers to their kids at school, that kind of thing. And the media isn't the only institution that's going easy on vets either. It's become commonplace in Russia for courts to hand out lighter punishments to returned soldiers, even when the public danger of their actions seems clear. Earlier this month, for example, a court in Dagestan sentenced a man to mere probation after convicting him of arms dealing. The reason for the soft touch? The mitigating circumstances of his combat experience. And yet even with all this special treatment, it's not clear that veterans are getting the help they need. Last weekend, there was an in-air incident reported aboard a flight from Moscow to Vladivostok, a young man back from combat in Ukraine tried to open the exit door and then tried to break into the cockpit before being tackled and restrained. Apparently suffering a PTSD episode, he reportedly screamed at the other passengers, calling them Ukrainians and threatening to kill everybody on the plane. The pilots made an emergency landing in Krasnoyarsk and the police took the veteran into custody. Okay, let's check in with some of Russia's neighbors. Moscow is still invading Ukraine, so things there are what you'd expect. On Wednesday, October 25th, in an interview with the Wall Street Journal, Armenian Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan said he sees no advantage in continuing to host Russian military bases on Armenian territory after Azerbaijan seized the contested region of Nagorno-Karabakh. We need to diversify our relationships in the security sphere, and we are trying to do that now, he explained. Armenia recently ratified the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court, which has issued an arrest warrant against Putin for alleged war crimes in Ukraine. While Armenia remains a member of the Russia-led military bloc, the Collective Security Treaty Organization, the CSTO, it still managed to host some 85 U.S. military personnel for training exercises in September. On Monday, Hungary blocked more than half a billion dollars of EU military aid to Ukraine, seeking legal guarantees that its largest commercial bank, OTP Bank, will never again be labeled an international sponsor of war by Ukraine, something Kiev has done in the past due to the bank's continued operation in Russia. Meanwhile, in Slovakia, the new prime minister, Robert Fitzo, says Bratislava will no longer provide military assistance to Ukraine. The EU must transform from an arms supplier into a peacemaker. Let them spend a decade negotiating peace instead of a decade killing each other he said on Thursday, adding that restoring Ukraine's 1991 borders is unrealistic. Fitzo says he won't support new sanctions against Russia either without assessing their impact on Slovakia. 
Though the Kremlin spokesman told reporters that Slovakia's role in Western support for Ukraine is minimal, so this doesn't really matter, he implied. Experts told the BBC that Slovakia has actually been an important link in the Western aid supply chain, passing along to Kiev howitzers, helicopters, fighter jets, and air defense systems. And finally, in Belarus, President Alexander Lukashenko expressed his condolences to the American people in the aftermath of the mass shootings in Maine this week that killed at least 18 people. The mustachioed dictator said Minsk condemns all forms of terrorism and laments the lack of proper gun control. Very thoughtful. I'm sure my fellow Americans appreciate his heartfelt message. Our main story this week is at the center of a new investigation from journalists at iStories and researchers at the conflict intelligence team who accused the Russian military of using so-called torture pits against unruly, often drunk soldiers. These pits are very large holes in the ground, giant ditches basically, where misbehaving, incompetent soldiers are dumped for days at a time and left to wallow in the dirt. Braving the elements as punishment for complaining, boozing, using drugs, refusing to fight, or failing to obey orders. Journalists and researchers think they found two sites, one outside of Volgograd and the other outside Orenburg. iStories collected testimony from soldiers at two training grounds in these areas and identified satellite images that appear to show the pits those soldiers described. I spoke to Sonia Savina, the author of the iStories report, and I asked her what we know about the conditions for men held in these pits. Our sources were two soldiers who underwent training at these facilities. They weren't in the pits themselves, meaning they only heard about how others were brought there, so we weren't able to describe what the interior is like. But we learned that the same kind of torture pit existed at the Prudboy training grounds in the 1990s. From those older reports, we can approximate that the pit is roughly 2 by 2.5 meters, about 50 square feet, and they're buried 3 meters deep, that's almost 10 feet. Based on other evidence, for example, reports from occupied territories in Ukraine, where mobilized soldiers complained about similar pits, they described them as cold and said prisoners are forced to sleep on rags. When it comes to the pits at the training grounds inside Russia, our sources say people are usually brought there after being beaten, and they're denied medical attention for the whole time they are in there, which can last several days or up to a week. So we're talking about torturous conditions of detention, people delivered there with injuries and denied access to doctors during their confinement, and they get food and water once a day. That's it. Satellite images taken in April 2023 and August 2023 show the appearance of two large pits outside the training camp in the Volgograd region, and a new footpath leading to the pits. A Russian veteran who now advises the conflict intelligence team says the pits are simply too close to the camp to be garbage dumps. They look a little bit like garbage dumps from space. But if these pits were for trash, it would violate the military's most basic sanitation protocols. There's also no evidence that these holes are involved in any training exercises. There are no steps into the ditches. There's no camouflage canopies over them. They're too small for testing grenades. And they're not isolated enough for testing firearms. Ice Story spoke to a soldier who trained at this facility this summer. The journalist gave him the pseudonym Victor. And he described a chaotic breakdown in military discipline. According to Victor, roughly 80% of the soldiers undergoing training there were prisoner recruits who were often drunk or high. In his comments to journalists, Victor said repeatedly that these soldiers were only there for the money. Now, I asked Savina why these motivations matter and what the consequences might be for torturing soldiers in boot camp. 
Yes, according to military experts and our co-authors of the conflict intelligence team and their analysts, at the front lines, just like in any job, any form of punishment, especially something this cruel and violent, means a person only does what is necessary to avoid further punishment. As for the soldiers, with this, they understood immediately that there's no way back for them. The men now at these training grounds encountering this torture, the military is trying to break them and stop them from filing whatever requests to refuse service and avoid fighting. These people won't be the first to charge into battle. They'll only do what they must to avoid being thrown into the pit. One of the former soldiers who escaped from the Totsky training grounds told us that he can't imagine what would happen if these people were sent to the front. And by now, they are probably there already. And, well, violence begets violence, meaning they're going to plunder and murder with a vengeance. Conflict intelligence team analysts argue that Russia has exhausted its supply of patriots who enlisted for the country. And the men now passing through training camps are desperate for cash. Now, this has attracted a certain element of new recruits, such as prisoners who often have a problem with authority. To solve this disciplinary challenge, the military has resorted to more violent training measures. This isn't the first time the Russian military has punished bad soldiers by throwing them in a big hole. In September 1998, at the same training grounds outside Volgograd, a 19-year-old soldier named Alexei Rybakov was killed while being disciplined and held in a pit with another soldier. According to a local soldier's mother's rights group, the lieutenant colonel in charge of the base worried that a visiting safety inspector might disapprove of the makeshift stockade in which Rybakov was being held, and so he ordered it covered with soil over some kind of tarp, apparently. The covering collapsed, however, killing Rybakov and seriously injuring the other man, who was later discharged on psychiatric grounds. Savina told me that she knows the practice of using torture pits isn't new to Russia's armed forces. But using these extraordinary measures against draftees on Russian soil is nonetheless noteworthy. Well, most of them ended up there for drunkenness. According to our sources, they might be held in the pits until they sobered up, came to their senses, and apologized. I've seen some of the comments responding to our investigation, and most of the comments are like, Guys, newsflash, these pits have been around forever. For example, they had them in the Chechen war, when they used them in place of detention facilities. We know that they dug pits where there were no other facilities, where there weren't basements or something. So yes, there's this practice of detaining people illegally. It's been known since the start of the conflict in the so-called LNR and DNR since 2014. Then, with the start of the full-scale invasion, the first reports began coming out from Russian mobilized soldiers who were detained at field camps on territory in occupied Ukraine. They were detained for this or that offense or for refusing to fight. This summer, former president and current Security Council Deputy Chairman Dmitry Medvedev visited both of the training grounds described in the iStories report landing by helicopter and strutting about, you know, dressed in camouflage. Defense Minister Sergei Shaigu visited the grounds outside Orenburg a month later. But the pits didn't make it into Medvedev's tour. Victor, the former soldier who spoke to Ice Stories, was there when Medvedev visited, and he says the former president's handlers were careful to keep him away from the barracks, apparently in order to avoid stumbling into some of the soldiers who were drunk and disorderly at that very time. Victor also claims that the military brought in three new tanks just for Medvedev's visit, and had the crews drive them in a circle so their fleet looked more like 10 than 3. Despite these PR stunts, the Ice Stories report suggests that declining morale is a serious problem in the Russian military. Savina paints a pretty grim picture. 
I know that the main problem right now for soldiers on the front lines is that they're denied leave, and that includes draftees complaining about this. And, of course, this damages morale even more than at the start of the invasion, when they were first sent to the front. You can see it easily in several indicators. You see it in the rising number of cases against deserters. In international organizations, there's also a flow of men who refuse to fight or who manage to escape. So, the Russian army is looking pretty worn out, really. Folks, this is the last Naked Pravda episode before Halloween 2023. So let me leave you with a tale of forbidden sweets. Last weekend on October 21st, a 33-year-old man, originally from Melitopol, a city in Ukraine's Zaporizhia region that's been under Russian occupation since March 2022, this man delivered poisoned whiskey and cake to a restaurant in Russia's Krasnodar region, where a group of local military aviation school alumni were celebrating the 20th anniversary of their graduation. Igor Semyonov reportedly showed up at the dinner posing as a courier with a 20-kilogram cake. That's 44 pounds, folks. And it was a large crowd, too. There were reportedly 77 people in attendance at the celebration. The cake was decorated with the aviation school's emblem, and he also gave them a box of Jameson whiskey bottles. Semyonov claimed to be delivering these gifts on behalf of an alumnus who couldn't make it to the celebration, but he didn't, he couldn't give the supposed sender's name, and that apparently rang some alarm bells for the intended recipients who didn't take a bite of the cake or a sip of the booze and instead reported the incident to the Federal Security Service, which quickly determined that the cake and liquor had been laced with medicine in large toxic doses in supposedly an attempted murder of the aviation school graduates. Officials arrested Simonov the next day, reportedly at an airport while he was trying to board a plane to Moscow, and a city court remanded him to pretrial detention a few days later. He's now charged with an act of terrorism involving the use of poisonous substances. Prosecutors say the suspect has lived in Russia since 2015. So kids, if anybody tries to give you large cakes or bottles of whiskey this Halloween, consider their motivations. And before you start chowing down, ask yourself if you're part of the military-industrial complex that invaded and occupied that person's hometown. Just a suggestion. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This has been The Naked Pravda, a podcast from Medusa in English. Remember that undesirable status back in Russia means our entire news outlet now relies on readers and listeners around the world to support our work. Please visit our website for information about how to become a contributor with one-time or recurring pledges. Thanks again. Until next week.